Welcome to the Garage Podcast, presented to you by the Young Adults Group at Salem First Baptist Church. Thanks for tuning in to hear this week's message from Pastor Tyler Hankey. We are in a series called Kicking It in Babylon, and this is a series out of the book of Daniel, and it's about a young man, a teenager, that faces many of the same challenges that you face on a day-to-day basis. Here's the, lo- the, the big question of Daniel's life. When you're in a dark environment, who are you going to be? When, when you're defining for yourself your adult life, you're in young adulthood, it's not your parents anymore deciding who you're going to be. You get to decide if Christianity is the faith you want to hold. You get to decide where you want to go to church, if you want to go to church. You decide who your friendships are, who you want to marry. All of these questions are massive, and they build for you an identity. And you are building this identity in a very dark world. My argument from week one is that you now, right now in America, are living in Babylon. Babylon in our story is a city, it's a kingdom, but in your day it's a spirit. The demonic spirit of Babylon is live a lavish life of excess, care about no one but yourself, entertain any leading of any demonic or spiritual force you want as long as it benefits you. That, That is America, and that is the spirit and power of Babylon. And so week one, we developed the idea that you need to live a principled life. You need to decide before the battle starts what kind of human you want to be. How do you want to live your gendered life? What kind of woman do you want to be? What kind of man do you want to be? How do you want to date? How do you want to work? Where do you want to work? These decisions and how you live in them are decided before you enter these realities. And so Daniel teaches you how to live a principled life. Week two was about dealing with emergencies in your life. So if you're, if you're new and you're like, man, I want to hear these, we record all of our messages, go online. It's the Garage Spotify podcast. You can find it on iTunes as well. But week two was about the three things that you need to handle an emergency. So when things happen to you that you can't control, things that are scary, that are overwhelming, that are sudden, you can't plan for them, what, what kind of person do you need to be? And Daniel shows you, you need to stay calm. You need to develop a persistent, consistent prayer life. And you also need to worship. If we indeed claim to live with and obey the God of heaven and we pray to him, when he answers, whether it's a yes or a no, do you worship? Do you live a life that says, look, God, whatever you decided to do in me, through me, around me, I'm gonna worship you. That allows you to live through emergencies. And so these are the things that you need to take into consideration. Now, Welcome to week three in this series. And this, Daniel chapter two is funny because chapters one through six are dominantly in in applicable life. How do you live in a dark culture? And then seven through the end is all prophecy, which we're gonna get to and it's gonna be epic. But two, the end of chapter two introduces the biggest prophecy in the entire book. This prophecy in its time span goes from Daniel's life all the way to the second coming of Jesus, which, by the way, time-wise, includes you. You right now are included inside the timeline of this prophecy. And so we're going to look at this. Let me recap the story. Here's what Daniel has done. At the beginning of chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, the evil king of this region, says, I've had a dream, and I don't understand it. Get all of my advisors into the palace right now. I need them to tell me what it is and what it means. All of them say, we have no idea. We don't know what this means. And no one on earth can jump inside your head, your majesty, and tell you what it is and what it means. And so the king is enraged, and he says, I want all wise men dead. Murder all of my advisors. He tells this to his second in command of the military. 
And so Daniel was still in training. He wasn't in the room when that happened, but Daniel hears the edict that he's about to die. And so he goes to the second in command and he says, will you let me talk with the king? I I need to persuade him not to kill me. And so the, the guard says, what do we have to lose? I'm gonna murder you tomorrow anyway. So he goes to the king and he says, will you give me 24 hours? Give me one day and I will appeal to a spirit you do not honor. I'm gonna appeal to the spirit of the God of the universe and I'm gonna ask for what the dream means. And he says, you know what, go for it. Again, he has nothing to lose. If he murders all the wise men, he'll go capture more of them anyway. And so Daniel prays all night long. This is the beginning of chapter two and God honors that persistent, consistent prayer life. And he says, not only will I tell you what the dream means, I will tell you what it is. So he jumps inside the mind of Nebuchadnezzar, gives the dream to Daniel. Daniel goes back to the king and says, your majesty, I know what the dream means. Now, before we jump into the dream and its interpretation, why should you care? Why should you care about this story? This is a story about an ancient king in the Middle East that had a dream, and you're like, I don't even know if it was real. Why does it matter to me? And and you're in a season right now, whether you're a Christian or not, and you're hearing this word prophecy. You're hearing it all the time. I mean, we enter, Israel enters into war. This happened, I was talking with a buddy this morning. This happened even with Ukraine and Russia. They enter into war and everyone was like, end of the world, end of the world, prophecy, prophecy. Like, where is this in the Bible? And and you're confused and maybe even at this point kind of tired of hearing about it. So I wanna do my best to explain what this actually means. Prophecy in scripture has two meanings. The central meaning is it is a word of knowledge God has given a human. And so when a pastor preaches, that is in a sense prophecy. That what God taught this leader is given to you, that is a prophetic message but prophecy in probably the more under more common uh, definition is a word about the future. So prophecy, when it is given to certain individuals in scripture is here's what's gonna happen in the future so that you can tell people. And I, I want you to understand prophecy because if you're a Christian, prophecy is one of the most powerful calls to worship that you have, that you would understand God is real, that he's right and that he sees you, that he loves you and he predicts the future. If you're a non-Christian, Prophecy, I would argue, is the most glaring reference that you need to slow down and reconsider your life. That if there is a God and he is real and he is predicting the future, you need to sit down and ask yourself, are the Christians full of it? Is the Bible a lie? Is this real? Because if it's real, this is a supernatural moment that has been given to you as a human and you need to look at it seriously. And so I wanna look at prophecy because God says to you, this is one of the greatest ways you know that I'm real. Here's some prophetic realities. God is proved real and right by prophecy coming true. Think about this. If God can reach down into the mind of a human and say, here's where you're at right now, here's what's gonna happen in a few hundred years, now watch for it and when we see it, does that not prove that God was right? And if he's right, that automatically means he's real. And so look at some of these verses. I put them up on the screen. First one, Isaiah 42, starting in verse 21. God is mocking through Isaiah. He's mocking idols and other spirits, which I love because we're always told to be kind and gentle. And God's like, I'm just going to make fun of people. So God says, present your case. Set forth your arguments. Tell us, you idols, what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we might consider and understand them and know their final outcome. Declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so that we may know that you are gods. 
Do something, anything, whether good or bad, so that we may be dismayed or filled with fear and awe. But he says, you are less than nothing, and your works are utterly worthless. Whoever chooses you is detestable. Now, that's a rough verse. Like, that one doesn't preach well. Because God just said, if you believe in other spirits other than me, he goes, that's just gross. Because his point was, to any spirit out there, any other lower, lowercase g God, he goes, I dare you. Do something. Produce for me a note of the future with any accuracy. God says, I've done it all the time. Your Bible is 25% prophecy. All the verses in scripture totaled up, 25% of it is a notification to the reader of what will happen in the future. There are 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. 2,000 of them thus far have come true. 2,000. The 500 that remain are almost all concerning the second coming of Jesus. And so you, as a thinking, breathing human being, must look at these and go, is this real? And if it's real, how do I respond? Look at what else is said in Isaiah 42. If you back up a little bit to verse five, it says, this is what God, the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretched them out and spreads out the earth and all the things that spring in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. He's speaking to Israel. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. This shows you his heart for Israel right now, which should inform your view of current events. He says, you will open the eyes that are blind and free captives from prison and release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. He's speaking of Jesus. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Here's the point you need to listen to. You see, the former things have taken place and the new things I declare before they spring into being, I announce them to you. In Isaiah 46.10, God declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. Would it not make sense that if God is real and if he does indeed have control over the entire universe, would it not make sense that he would warn you about it? That he would tell you, I'm real and I am right always. Here's what will happen in the future. Now pay attention. Every single major catastrophe in the Bible, whether it's the flood, whether it was the Exodus, whether it was a plague, every single time a disaster befalls humanity, God warns them through a prophet. And the great tribulation is a season, it is real, it's a real seven years, it is coming, and I'm a post-tribulationalist, I know it's gonna freak some people out, I'm not a pre-tribber. And that means I don't think we're leaving and escaping the tribulation, I think we're going through this. You will go through the darkest season of history. If you wanna know my understanding of that, if you wanna debate me, let's go. I fight hard on that one, so you're gonna lose, but prep yourself. Prophecy proves to you that God is real and that he's right, he warns you. And he warns you because he loves you. And so as we continue, let's get into the dream. If you have your Bible, this is Daniel chapter two. We're gonna start in verse 31. I'm just gonna read you the story. This is the dream and its interpretation. So let's jump into this. Your majesty, Daniel says, he says, your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous and dazzling statue, awesome in its appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold and its chest and arms of silver its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron and its feet partly of iron and clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. 
Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken into pieces, and it became like dust on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them all away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain, and it filled the whole earth. Skip to verse 39. After you, Nebuchadnezzar, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, it will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all of the others. Just as you saw that the feet and the toes were partly of clay and iron, so this kingdom will be divided. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with the clay. As the toes were partly iron and clay, so the kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future, and the dream is true and its interpretation trustworthy. Now, who likes charts and graphs? Because here we go. Who loves organ? Like, people actually raise their hands. Like, that's, y'all are weird. So, Here's the vision. Now, if you read the book of Daniel, there's a secondary vision. This is in Daniel chapter seven, and this vision is a parallel vision. Daniel receives the second one years after the first, and God gives it to him so that he would be concrete or concretely aware of the vision's answer. So here's what we have. Here was the first vision, and it's of the statue. The second vision is of four different beasts, and it relates to a kingdom. Every statue piece, every beast, is a kingdom that is real in the world of mankind. And these are the scriptures to show you where this is said. So let's just go through these. In Daniel chapter two, it tells you flat out that the first kingdom, the head of gold, is Nebuchadnezzar. It's Babylon. So you don't need to sit there and guess. The Bible tells you we are 100% certain that the first one is Babylon. The beast corresponding to it is the lion. What was the beast that Nebuchadnezzar chose as the symbol for his kingdom? It's a lion. I'll just give you a hint. All the answers are just right on the board. So this is softball. No offense, ladies. I'm sorry. The second part of the statue was a chest and arms of silver. And if you read Daniel 7, it is of a lopsided bear that he sees in the vision. What does that mean? One side of the bear had longer legs than the other one, and it walked with a limp. It was two kingdoms combined into one monster. And sure enough, the next kingdom was the Medes and the Persians. If you know your history, they take over after Babylon and they were two kingdoms in one and one, Persia, was clearly stronger than the Medes. You read their names in Daniel 8. God flat out tells you that the next kingdom after Babylon is the Medes and the Persians. He just tells you what it is. We have evidence of the book of Daniel being written before the Medes and the Persians take over. What does that tell you? God told you and the world what would happen before it happened. But the next one's even more brilliant. The next part of the statue is the bronze belly and legs. 
It is the kingdom of Greece. Again, he tells you in Daniel 8, 21 that this people group is the Greeks. And here's the craziest part. He says that the animal that he sees is a four-headed leopard. How many of you know what happened to the kingdom of Greece when Alexander the Great died? He split it up between four people. Who, how do you guess that? How do you guess that an ancient kingdom would exist and it says that it not only was a leopard, it was a leopard with wings, indicating the speed at which this kingdom would manifest itself. And all historians agree that Alexander the Great built one of the most massive kingdoms unbelievably quickly. So the speed of the kingdom, the splitting up of the leadership of the kingdom was all predicted by God and given to Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar so that you would know God is real that you would know God is correct and he's always been correct and he will continue to be correct. Now here's where things get scary. The final part of the statue is iron legs leading to iron and clay. It's not two different parts of the prophecy. It's the same. The graph just wouldn't combine them. Iron legs become iron and clay and he goes, the beast is unknown to me. Again, that should worry you because Daniel knows all of the other beasts. He goes, okay, I saw a lion. I know what a lion is. I saw a bear, I know what a bear is. I saw a leopard, I know what a leopard is. He looks at the final kingdom and he says, I have no idea what that is. It's horrifying. And this beast dominated all of the other ones. And he said that, look at these, these metals. These were all chosen for a reason. Gold, silver, bronze, these are all beautiful, but they're honestly quite soft. Iron, not exactly pretty, but it smashes everything else. The strength of this fourth kingdom would decimate in comparison the strength of all three preceding kingdoms. And he says, the teeth of this beast were iron. Its claws were, were bronze. It devoured everything. And now you come to the point in your Christian life, that, and some of you know some of this. Some of you are like, this is the first time I've ever seen this. We argue about this a lot. Like, you go into any Bible college, like, I've been teasing um, Dr. Derrickson, those of you that go to Corbin, me and him have been fighting for days. Not fighting, I love him, and he would crush me, but it's fun to tease him. There are two main schools of thought, and we're gonna go over this, that the fourth kingdom is either Rome or an Islamic caliphate. Now, are there other ideas? Yes, but before we get to any of them, just a moment of humility. We don't know. And so you're sitting here and you're like, okay, if we don't know, Tyler, if, if the vision, as Daniel says at the end of his book, God says, close up the vision, we will not know until the end times exactly. So you're like, why should we care? I'll tell you why we should care. One, because any amount of excitement that grows in you to pull you into scripture, that's a good excitement, that's a good feeling. I want to inspire you to read your Bible more. And if you read 1 Peter chapter one, it says that the prophecies concerning Jesus and the end times were given to the prophets. And it says they diligently in their time searched the world and the other scriptures for God. Even though it says they knew that it wasn't even concerning them, the prophets wrote everything that they did for you. All of the prophecies weren't for them, it was for you. And the prophets knew this. And it says they still searched the world and the things of God. So what am I trying to do? What's my goal today? I don't need you running around going, I know who the Antichrist is. Like, I know the end kingdom. Don't worry about it. And if you say that, you're a liar. You don't know. But at the end of the day, I want every single one of you leaving this room stoked out of your mind to read the word, study current events, and pray. 
I want you to read the word, study current events, and pray. That's what I want for you. We don't need a bunch of Christians freaking out going, I know everything about the end of the world. Like, I went to Broadway, and this woman comes up, and she goes, hey, I just want to let you know, I know when the world's ending. And, and me and my buddy were like, okay. And my buddy, who's infinitely smarter than me, and, and just like, he thinks so fast. She, she goes, I know when the end of the world is. And the guy, my buddy goes, that's incredible. Like the Bible says, no one knows the day or the hour, but God told you, that's really cool. And I'm dying because she's eating it up. She's like, yes, 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 he did. And then we went and got our coffee and we were like, marijuana, man. Like we, we don't know what that was, but that woman was out of her mind. I don't need you running going, I know the kingdom. I know the antichrist, but I want you to get excited. I want you to study the deeper things of scripture and I want you to pray that God would reveal these things to you. Daniel is given incredible information and it's not because he's brilliant. It's not because he was perfect. He wasn't, he sinned all the time. But Daniel says, as I prayed, God revealed the deep things to me. That still happens. It is still the, the mysteries of God, plans of God are given to those that would sit down, slow down and pray. So I want you watching the world. I want you look at, looking at these things. And so here's what I wanna do. If you, let me go one more. So here's the criteria for the kingdom. So what, what people are doing, they're looking at kingdoms and they're like, it's gotta be this one. And it's like, hold on, slow down. Do you even know the criteria for the fourth kingdom? You see, it's interesting to me that God prophetically tells you the names of the first three. He tells you exactly who they are. He doesn't tell you the fourth one. Why would he do this? He wants to leave it a mystery. God is brilliant. He is all wise and all knowing. So he did this for a reason. And I think it's so that we would appropriately ask questions and keep looking. So here's the criteria. And there's more than this. I'm just gonna give you three, but read Daniel 2, read Daniel 7, read Revelation 16, read it all. And ask yourself, what does this fourth kingdom look like? Here is what he said. This kingdom will crush all kingdoms before it. Daniel 2 Verse 40, it says this, finally, there will be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so this kingdom will crush and break all, that's key, all others. How do you break a kingdom? Well, if you're in a military invasion, you break them geographically. If you're gonna invade a nation, you defeat them and you own that plot of dirt. So you crush geographically, how else do you crush? Culturally. You invade a nation, you're like, you're gonna worship our gods, you're gonna speak our language, and you're gonna know our stories, and we will destroy yours. So we need to ask the question, of the two kingdoms that I'm gonna argue for, either Rome or an Islamic caliphate, and I'll explain if you don't know what that means, I'll explain it. Those are the two most common answers, and we're gonna filter both of them through this list. Second, this kingdom is gonna be divided permanently. It says that this kingdom will never truly be united. And it's people like iron and clay that never truly mix will never be together. And so any kingdom that has a fully united mission and vision and ethnicity is never gonna fit this kingdom. It can't, because God already told you it's divided. And third, it's going to be different. And this is probably the most frustrating because he doesn't tell you how it's different. But if you look at a kingdom and it is similar in its beliefs and structure to Babylonia, Medo-Persia and Greece, it's not that kingdom if they're the same. If the fourth kingdom is different than the first three, you might have the kingdom. Now, before we jump into what these actually mean, some people have suggested that when you read this prophecy, all of it has occurred already. They think that the fourth kingdom was Rome and that 
And Antiochus Epiphanes, when he invaded the temple in 70 AD and declared himself God, that that was the final moment. But read the prophecy. The prophecy says multiple different times that God is going to wipe clean the slate. There is still evidence of all of these kingdoms still on earth. And the prophecy said it will all be gone. My argument, and you can disagree with me, is that this prophecy is concerning the future. I don't believe that this has happened yet. I don't believe we know who the fourth kingdom is. There's too many things in Daniel 7 and 8 that reveal how the fourth kingdom is gonna operate. It says there's gonna be multiple kings that come out of this kingdom. It says there will be a little horn that comes out of this kingdom and that will be the antichrist. So do you know who the antichrist is? No, and if any of you shake your head, yes, you're crazy, like leave our group. We don't know who the antichrist is and if you look at this, it says the antichrist is going to be revealed inside the fourth kingdom. So again, my argument is we haven't seen that because the Bible says you're all gonna know. So let's jump into this. Rome, did it crush geographically? No, no, it didn't. And th this is the craziest thing to me because this is the Achilles heel of this idea. And Rome is a very popular answer, but look at something with me. Now, if you're listening online, I apologize. I'm pulling up a map and you can't see it. That's why you need to come to church, yo, so... Let's look at this, burn. Map number one, this is the Babylonian empire. It had its capital in Iraq about where Baghdad is and it stretches from Egypt to the Persian Gulf. That's map number one, that's Babylonian empire. Map number two, this is the Medo-Persian empire. It's the same map. And so you look at this map and it goes from the tip of Egypt all the way to the tip of India. It only expanded the empire. And again, we know that this is in the vision. So we know that this is correct. We know that, this, that Babylon was correct. Here's the third map, the Greek empire. Same map. The center part of this map is the Arabian Peninsula. And it stretches from Egypt all the way to India. Same map. Here's the Roman empire. Friends, that's a different map. That is a completely different map. Now, did it cover some of the tip of the Arabian Peninsula, yes, but two-thirds of the map that's off the screen, Rome didn't touch it. Two-thirds of the Medo-Persian and Greek empire, like all, all of this, Rome doesn't touch it. And the, the prophecy specifically stated that they would crush everything and there'd be no trace of the previous empires, but there is. If you look at the Roman Empire, they don't touch two-thirds of the map. Let's go back to the list. Did they crush them culturally? Not really. If you look at Rome, was Rome monotheistic or polytheistic? They were polytheistic. They believed in all kinds of gods. They just took the, the previous, they took the, the Greek gods and they renamed them because they have no imagination. They're like, Zeus is Jupiter. Okay, like I guess we're worshiping a planet now. When they invaded spaces, they didn't demand that the spaces they took over speak the same language. They didn't even demand that they have the same religion. Now later, in the Roman Empire, did they adopt Catholicism? Yes, they did, and for a time it was mandated. But that quickly went away. If you look at the time of Jesus, was Jesus and the Jews allowed to practice Judaism in the Roman Empire? Yes, the temple still stood, they still sacrificed animals, they still prayed, and Rome did almost nothing to oppose them until the Jews rioted and Rome comes in to stomp the rebellion and burn the temple down, giving rise to the, the Jewish exile, but did they defeat everyone culturally? Not really. 
They came into areas and they just simply made them better. They added roads and building and infrastructure. In a weird way, they were kind of a kind empire. Were they divided? Again, kind of. They begin under Augustus Caesar in 31 BC, and that's the Western Roman Empire. So he goes till, but, but again, they, never, they didn't call it Western until later. That went till 476 AD, and the Eastern side split from them and went to 330 AD. Now, I, some of you are like, Tyler, numbers, man. Like Sunday morning, stop. Just give me the spark notes. Here's the spark notes. They were only divided for 140 years. That's all you need to know. The Roman Empire was officially divided for 140 years. That is about one-tenth of the total reign of this empire. So can you honestly say that Rome was divided? Not really. They largely had the same mission and vision. And were they different? This is hard because we don't know what Daniel was trying to say. He just says, this kingdom is different than all the others. You're like, cool, Daniel, what does that mean? We don't know. But as you scan it, pick a category and just compare them. Again, I'm not saying it's not Rome. I just, I will say, I don't think it makes sense. But Rome, again, was polytheistic. They had many gods. So did Greece. So did Medo-Persia. So did Babylon. The way that they advanced themselves was through government-driven campaigns, just like the other ones. They were not overly religiously minded and dominated. They just wanted to expand the empire. But here is the next one, the Islamic Caliphate. Now, if you're like, I don't know what that second word means. I have never seen that. Caliphate is a word they use to describe a religiously driven government. So the Islamic Caliphate is the dream of all Muslims right now. It is the dream spoken of in the Quran that, that Islam would dominate the world and be led by a caliph that is a religious political leader and he would bring about Sharia law over the entire world. And so Islam starts because Muhammad wanted to organize the entire Middle East under a monotheistic government. Here was the problem. He starts this faith and there was a massive civil war, which we're gonna get to, but let's back up a little bit. Did the Islamic Caliphate crush everyone? Yes, violently. Take a look at this map. The three maps are the same from the previous example, Babylonia, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Same map, same general region. Look at the Islamic Caliphate. Guys, it's the exact same map, just expanded. The Islamic Caliphate took over every square inch of land that the previous three kingdoms had. It crushed everyone on every measurable level. They moved militaristically, violently slaughtering everyone. And if you rebelled, here's what they did. Culturally, they brought Arabic as an exported language to the known world. They still speak it in Syria, in Lebanon, in Iraq. They still speak the language. And that wasn't a, a known cultural language. Islam brought it to them. So Islam moves in and they say, you will worship our God. If you worship anything else, we'll kill you. If you speak any other language than the one we give you, you're in prison. You will learn our language. They even changed the alphabet of other cultures. Turkey right now had an Arabized language model because Islam demanded that they do that. They geographically completely crushed everyone. They culturally crushed everyone. Now, I am not building in you a fear of Muslims, I'm not trying to build hate for that culture and community. That is not my point. They need Jesus just as much as any non-Christian, any Jew, anyone. 
So this is not a Muslim bashing session, and I need you to hear me on that. So I don't need anyone running from here going like, Tyler taught us to hate the Muslims, like stop yourself. Were they divided? Yes, from the very beginning. Here's the war I was talking about. Muhammad leads his people, and in, in 32, or no, yeah, 32 BC, or oh, excuse me, oh my gosh, 632 AD, wow. My brain has a lot of numbers in it. He dies, and there was a massive fight between who was going to take over his kingdom. And so there was a group called the Shia Muslims or the Shiite Muslims, and they believed that Muhammad's cousin Ali should take over the kingdom. But they were the minority. The Sunnis, these two were Shia, Sunni, you might have heard this. The Sunni Muslims said, no, it needs to be Abu Bakr. It doesn't need to be family. It needs to be this man that we pick. The Muslim community, the Islamic world, has been divided from the very beginning. And they still hate each other to this day, more so than they hate Jews and Christians because these two groups of people interpret the Quran in a different way. This kingdom has been divided from day one and are they different? They couldn't be more different, guys. The previous three kingdoms were all polytheistic and driven by a government. This kingdom is monotheistic and they are religious based. They don't advance because the government tells them to. They advance because they believe God told them to. And if you look at the world right now, and this isn't exactly like straight from scripture, but just look at the world. Do you see any evidence of a Roman militarized government that's gonna take over the world and attack Israel? Do, do you see anything? Like, do you think that the Catholic church is gonna mobilize itself and get a bunch of weapons and assault Israel? Like, good luck, Pope, knock yourself out. I don't see it. Do you see a militarized Islamic coalition attacking Israel? Yeah, it's happening right now. If you read Ezekiel 37 and 38, it speaks of the Gog-Magog war, which is a coalition of nations, 10 of them, which if you read Daniel 7, it says there will be 10 nations that rise from this fourth kingdom and they will all attack Israel. You're seeing it right now. President Erdogan of Turkey has said it is his goal in his lifetime to reestablish the Islamic Caliphate. Again, I'm not building fear in you or dread in you. I want your eyes open. I want you looking at culture. I want you looking at politics and you're like, Tyler, that's not me. It needs to be you because the Christian will be the one that has the answers. You will be the one that knows history because, or knows the future because it was spoken to you as history. God was clear on these things. Now, could, could it somehow, could, could history twist and it could end up being Rome? Sure, I'm not married to that idea. I'm just telling you right now that Rome doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. The Islamic Caliphate fits every single criteria that it needs to, and there's even more. Just, I didn't have time to go through them. And so here is how the story ends. Verse 36 of chapter two. Then after he heard the vision, Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him, which is kind of a joke. Like he just talked about God winning and he's like, sacrifice something to this guy. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries that you were able to reveal this to me. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, teaching you one very valuable lesson. It is not what you know, 
It is who you know. So nobody cares about your major. Find a intelligent individual and follow them to victory because that's exactly what his three buddies did. Here's the end of the vision though. Here's the end of the vision. Daniel says, I saw something and it was a rock. And the rock was cut out of a mountain and a human didn't do it. It was a supernatural cutting of this rock and then a supernatural being chucked the rock at the statue and it obliterated it. And from that rock rose a mountain. Guys, heaven, real heaven, not the floaty clouds, you know, babies in diapers with harps. That's not real. Real heaven is Jesus Christ coming back to earth to reign from a real throne in Jerusalem and remaking the earth in his original perfect design with you and me having renewed perfect bodies. That's heaven. That's the rock becoming the mountain. Now, does Jesus rule from heaven now? Yes, he does. He oversees all human history, including evil rulers. But I'm gonna argue the rock has not become the mountain yet because Jesus's enemies are not under his feet yet, but they will be. But we are to watch Israel. We are to watch current events and ask ourselves what is happening and of what's happening, did I see it in scripture? And if you do, that simply proves God was, is real and he's been right the whole time. So next week, we're gonna learn how to get in a fight with an oven and win. <laughs> Those of you that know where the story's going, come on, that's a good joke. That's a good joke. You're like, Tyler, you're lame. I'm getting out of here. You're right. So before you hate me anymore, let me pray and we're gonna get you out of here. Father, thank you for this incredible day. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are sovereign over all things. You dominate all evil nations. You allow them to rise for a time, but ultimately you will crush every single one of them. And we as your followers will do our part to spread your message until you call us to heaven or until you return and we see you in all of your glory. So would we in this small corner of the world in Salem, Oregon, would we be prepared? I pray that we wouldn't be caught unaware. The Bible says you will come as a thief in the night, but Christians will not be unaware of the moment. We will be awake and ready. We will be at the door when the intruder tries to come in. And we will take our stand against these evil empires. And we will do our best to protect as many people as we possibly can. So Lord, I pray for a renewed spirit of vigor in reading our Bibles. I pray that we would commit to Bible study. I pray that we would commit to prayer. And all the things that are in our minds right now that are worrying us, I pray that we would put them in their rightful place, which is below you, under your reign and rule. So thank you for prophecy. It excites us, it empowers us, it emboldens us. And for anyone listening who's not a Christian, I pray that they would humble themselves and scan the scriptures for what they really mean. And I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would reveal to them what is real and that they would come to trust you and let you lead them. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week and we'll just keep going. Thanks for tuning in to the Garage Podcast. We hope the message has made you think deeper about faith and will strike up new conversations as you go about your week. If you want to hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Have a great week.